welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So I like to start off this podcast with asking everyone the same question because I find it very interesting. And that is, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Um, I'll start with the what I do because I feel like that's a little bit easier and more concrete. Sure. So I kind of have two professional projects that I'm working on right now. One is I work on the site howtowatch.com. We just launched about a month ago. And the whole site is dedicated to helping people find ways to watch their TV content that's not cable. So we're trying to help people save a little bit of money and have a little bit more control over how they're watching things and what they're watching and kind of only paying for exactly what they want. And so I'm helping a lot with building that site out and trying to get the word out about it, as well as sharing a lot of the knowledge that we've built up as a team working on that and our previous site. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I'm doing, I do a lot of freelance writing, as in like I write something freelance pretty much every day of a normal work week. And uh, I mostly write for consumer tech publications, so places like Tech Hive and PC World a little bit of other kind of brands. Then how I would describe myself is obviously I'm an artist and I consider myself an entrepreneur even though I'm working for a site that I don't own right now. Mm-hmm. And I've been a musician my whole life. I'm a comic book fan and an artist, like visual artist and um, a huge TV addict. So it's probably the most basic way to describe myself. Sure, okay. There's a lot, lot there. So let's start with my my important question at the top, and that is, I want to watch Cobra Kai on YouTube, but I don't want to pay for it because I think that's stupid. Is there <laughs> is there a way to do that for free without having to pay YouTube for their stupid extra channel? I mean, YouTube is a little bit weird because they haven't been in the streaming for all that long, and so they hold their content pretty tightly. So where with HBO, you might not have to pay specifically for HBO's service because it's like the whole network and you can get it in other streaming services or whatever. Mm-hmm. YouTube, because it's kind of newish to the game and they've got the whole YouTube Red thing, you, that's kind of your option right now. Oh, that's so but annoying. Because it doesn't... I mean, so I, I watched the first two episodes that were free and mm-hmm. it's, it's good enough for me to go, okay, I'll watch more. It's not good right. enough for me to go, I'm going to pay money for this because I don't watch youtube enough to care enough to pay money i do feel like that's a lot of web series are like yeah there are some really quality web content out there but most of it i'm not really willing to pay for because obviously they don't necessarily have the budgets or whatever backing it to be worth me putting money into but also i grew up with all the karate kid stuff so i'm torn because i keep seeing the commercials for it and wanting to try it out but i just haven't gotten around to it so Well, if you sorry, do... yeah, to look on that one. <laughs> no, 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 that's all right. I know it eventually it's going to be leaked somewhere on the internet, so I'll just I'll wait for that to happen because it's not one of those things. 
things are usually leaked on YouTube. That's so true. you're gonna be oh, able to so have that's, much so that, that's a good question. Where do you, where do you, YouTube leakers go to leak content? Would it be like on Vimeo or something maybe? I don't even know. <laughs> hmm. oh, I well. even, I'm not in the like secret streaming game usually. <laughs> Legal above board streaming most of the time. Yeah, so. that's good then. Okay, so yeah. be- before we go more into into depth on on your on your current project, uh, let's back up a little bit. And I'm because you've mentioned that you know you're you're a musician and artist. Mm-hmm. What first got you interested in the arts? Oh man, I think I have a story like a lot of people's where when I was really young. Um, found that I was okay at drawing and I'm not an amazing visual artist now. Like I still feel like I'm sort of okay or like slightly above average, but it was something that I loved and the whole kind of cheesy form of self-expression or whatever. And I was like this weird shy kid. So uh, I really liked drawing and I loved comic books still do. So I would try to draw superheroes and create my own. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the arts, when you do one, you bleed into other things. So I drew a lot and then I read a lot and those things, the skills you learn in one helps the other. And then I started playing violin when I was about 11, which is late for a lot of people to start playing if they're going to keep playing. Mm -hmm. But having done a lot with language and reading and writing and drawing, all that stuff I think helped me to be able to pick it up pretty quickly. And then after that, it's a lot easier once you've learned one instrument to pick up other instruments. So my journey was sort of just one thing leading to another thing to another thing. And all of those things combining to create basically what was my high school, junior high experience. Those very formative years were really shaped by my arts. So like my best friends were people from orchestra and youth symphony and, you know, the people like I had a... a, comic strip in junior high that I would do like a weekly kind of thing. It was not that well masked of like a gossip column, but comic book form. And that was like how I made half of my friends in junior high because people would like anticipate this. Got to keep up on the gossip and make these comics about it. So yeah. anyway, I love my, <laughs> a lot of what led me to where I am now doing a lot of writing and a lot of the friends that I still have to this day are because of what I did with the arts when I was younger. Oh, very cool. So where would you get your uh, your gossip to put in the weekly comic book column? Well, that was the thing is because, like I said, I was very shy. Mm-hmm. And it really forced me to try to make friends with people that I knew had all the details. Mm. <laughs> so not that I, like, only made friends because I thought that they were gossipers, but definitely finding people that were well-connected and then they were friendly. So I'd have to be friendly to be friends with them. And it pushed me a lot quickly for a very dumb, very shallow reason to go from being super shy and nerdy and not having a ton of friends Mm -hmm. to being a lot more outgoing. And then the kind of, they were never mean gossip comics. That makes it sound terrible, but like the people that were in them knew that they were in them, but uh, (laughs) yeah, but then just kind of being able to make friends with people to the point that I felt comfortable writing comics about them. And keeping up on their, like, the dating lives of junior high students and stuff. Wow, that sounds, <laughs> um, well, I was going to say boring, but also kind of a little bit interesting. And yeah. it's probably because I haven't been in junior high for uh, many, many years. Um, but. Same. Yeah, I found a couple of them. Like, yeah. not that long ago, I was cleaning out my closet at my parents' house. And 
um, I found a box of like a bunch of old papers and I found these like special edition comics I'd done on neon lined paper. Yeah. And yeah. they were so dumb. Like at the time it was like the coolest <laughs> thing. And I was like so into it. And now I'm like, nothing ever happened. Like this is so stupid. But like it was obviously a big part of my life when I was 13 years old. So yeah, no, 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 that you makes know. sense. You know, the things that I thought <laughs> yeah. were fantastic at 13 and I think I still have some like copies of random stuff that I did. Um, you know, it, it means a lot when you're that age. A lot of things sure. mean a great deal, and so I probably would have loved having. I was also uh, into comics way back then, and I tried to. I wasn't really creating comic book stuff, but I would have loved <laughs> to do that when I was in junior high. So, good job on that one. So, but um, okay, so after junior high, or after high school, then what did you study in college? I actually have a bachelor's in entrepreneurship, which is a very weird thing that people ask me about all the time. Why would you major in entrepreneurship when at the time I did not want to create a startup, Mm -hmm. still don't really want to start my own company at the moment. People always ask me about that, but that was the right call for me. So sure. Yeah. Kind of a weird major. Yeah. So that leads to a good question. Why did you major in entrepreneurship? (laughs) No, I mean, and I, I mean this with all sincerity because it's, and this comes from somebody who created a kind of entrepreneurship program for a university. Um, for sure. And so it's it's an interesting idea to study entrepreneurship, whereas most people who run entrepreneurship programs have never been entrepreneurs themselves, only right. studied entrepreneurs. So um, what was so what was the experience like in your program, and and why? Did you choose entrepreneurship versus like going to like setting a, a business major or uh, communications? For sure. So at my university, which is the University of Utah, mm-hmm. um, our entrepreneurship program was part of the business school. And I had gotten involved when I was a freshman um, in this program. That's basically our business school's version of an honors program. Okay. And I loved it. There's like tons of international travel and people that I really loved. And I tried a couple other business majors and nothing was really fitting. And I think part of that was because so many of them are really like math heavy and um, use skills that I didn't have or didn't care about that much and didn't really want to develop. And I was looking for something that would allow me to be a little bit more creative. And the the University of Utah also has a really, really good entrepreneurship program that isn't part of one of the colleges. So anyone, it's like the Lausanne Entrepreneurship Institute is what it's called. And anyone on campus can join it. And um, there are tons of, like, you can meet with experts or people that have their own startups. And you can have, like, office space on campus, which is super cool. And I got involved with that through some friends when I was like a kind of the end of my sophomore year, beginning of junior year mm-hmm. and loved it. Like it, all the people there were kind of trying to start their own companies and it was definitely not my scene at all. But I thought it was super cool what everyone was doing. And I was seeing patterns of like the skills that people are trying to develop here are skills that people need, even if they're not starting a company. Mm-hmm. And like the things that they were learning were things that I had not learned in my other normal classrooms. And started looking into doing entrepreneurship as a major, knowing that I really valued those entrepreneurial skills, even if I wasn't thinking of starting a company right after I graduated or whatever. So I switched into the major, had many, many conversations with my parents about it and uh, a lot of other people because I always was like, that's so dumb. Why would I do that? And 
it was such a good decision. Like having nice classes that I could shape to be what I wanted them to be. And we could work on our own projects and get class credit for them. And the people that were in there were really creative, interesting people. And I feel like the skills that I learned in there, because I'd already had so many credits of generals in my business school kind of required prerequisite courses that I think I had gotten enough of that traditional academic experience that these extra like entrepreneurship skills were so useful to me, especially that last like year and a half I was in college that I was basically taking only those classes. I think that's like a huge reason why now I have the confidence to be like pursuing freelancing projects and working on things that I care about. Like I said, how to watch, like I'm a TV enthusiast, like that site is very TV oriented and I'm able to, I think, feel like I can pursue the topics and projects that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas otherwise, I think I might have tried to pursue something a little bit more traditional and corporate and probably wouldn't have felt as fulfilled right now, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Thank you. So what did you do after you graduated? So I have been graduated from college a little over a year. So there okay. hasn't been a lot of time to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been uh, kind of a, okay, well, let's, let's, let's ask a different question then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So okay, so I, so you work for a company now. I'm curious how the so did you have a when you interviewed for this position, was it mm-hmm. a traditional type of interview where you sat down and like gave out your resume type of thing, or did you happen to know somebody who already worked there? Uh, it was a traditional. So when I interviewed, um, it was for the site CutCableToday.com, which is now transitioning to How to Watch. And I applied for it because it sounded like something that I was into. Like I said, the TV topic is something I'm into. Mm -hmm. Um, And the role was going to be doing a lot of writing and a lot of kind of traditional PR stuff, which I was into. So um, it was a traditional interview in some ways. And in some ways, like they were asking me questions about like TV shows and things like that, which was the dream for me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Did the subject of your what you studied in college come up, and what was their initial reaction to it? They, it did come up, um, and I think that was a big reason why I work there now. Oh, okay. So they they saw it as an asset. For sure. Okay. And I think, I mean, I work on a team of people that are all really creative, all super dedicated really well-qualified, really interesting people. We were able to launch a site really quickly from when we started working on it because all these people are amazing, totally amazing. (laughs) Um, But all of them are super different creative thinkers. We've got someone who's, like, working on her own book right now and people who are, like, doing their own design projects outside of work and all this stuff. So I think having that sort of atypical education nested within a more traditional education was something that made it seem like I would be a good fit for the team. And sure. I, I I, mean, it's like I said, it's worked out really well. I've really loved working with everyone there, and I think it's because I'm a creative. They're creatives. We're all super into what we're doing. So Yeah. Okay. That's great. Okay. So, so tell me more then about what you're working on now at howtowatch.com. Like what is – so it sounds like you joined the company early on because you were helping kind of create it. So what's the overall goal of the company, and, and what what does your typical day look like? For sure. So uh, my typical day is all over the place because, like I said, we're, um, we've just launched this site. So right now we're doing a lot of let's see what we need and then each day take care of what we need. Most of what I'm doing right now is trying to find 
um, people to talk to about the site because obviously people don't know that it exists because it's brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a couple of things. We're trying to get more content on the site because it's so new. So we've just launched a tool that people can put in, um, you know, what kinds of programs they like to watch and how much they've been paying for cable and if they have a digital antenna and all this other stuff and then get a personalized package thing at the end of this tool, which is super cool. So I'm trying to get the word out about that because I think it's extremely useful. Mm-hmm. And then we have a cord cutting guide and a couple other pages right now, but we're really trying to build it out and get a lot more information because we really want it to be a good resource for people in the long term. Sure. Sure. And so yeah. the, so I guess, so the, the main, I guess, focus of your, of the company is alternatives to a traditional cable model. Is, is that correct? Mm-hmm, for sure. And there are a lot of reasons why people would not want to have a traditional cable model. But the, the thing that we're hearing over and over, I think financial reasons is like, that's probably the main thing for most people because it's expensive mm-hmm. to have cable. I have never, ever in my life been able to afford cable, but I'm still, you know, watching tons of TV all the time. And I think that is something that could be possible for pretty much almost everyone. And then, you know, people hate that they're like contracted where most streaming services don't have contracts attached to them. So having that control and having the financial control as well, I think are a couple of pretty big pain points that our site is trying to address. Oh, sure. Which makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I, so I hate Comcast with a passion. It is a mm-hmm. terrible organization that should die a terrible, terrible death. And it's You're mostly right. because I'm, <laughs> I, and, I, and I have them in the Boston area cause I'm stuck with them. And there isn't any competition with them. And uh, I get arguments with them all the time because they charge me about the same just to have internet that I would if I had internet and then cable with them. Right. Um, So I'm totally with you on this one because I haven't had, I haven't had cable, I think in like eight years or so because it hasn't been necessary. Right. Um, So how do you, so there's a limited number of internet providers, which is the big problem. Mm-hmm. Is does your service kind of help solve that issue by like pointing people to even even the small startup ones, or is it pretty much like we get it? There's only like I don't know five or six because there's a monopoly, and so you have to go with these. But here are some other options you can use to watch TV on, or how does that part work? So on Cut Cable Today, which is, like I said, the site that we're coming from, that we're all transitioning from, we have a tool that, like, you can put in your zip code and see a bunch of the um, internet services that are by you, which includes some of these local ones that people probably don't instantly think of. Um, And we're going to have a version of that on how to watch. So it still exists on Cut Cable Today. When we do a redirect, it'll be on how to watch as well. Um, but yeah, you're right. The internet is like a huge thing for a lot of people. That's like one of one of the struggles I think with cord cutting, and I think we'll see it less and less as that. I mean, I have a, an expectation that eventually streaming and kind of like all cart viewing will become the standard in the TV industry. I don't know how soon that'll be. I hope it's soon, but um, I think <laughs> I think we'll see fewer and fewer issues with being able to find internet competitors as people are realizing that that whole industry is changing and there needs to be something to fill that space that they're really there's there aren't a lot of leaders right now trying to pull away and be internet leaders away from cable companies you know Mm -hmm. but i hope we'll see that soon so 
Yes, me too. So, I mean, I've noticed that there's a few. I, I go to a lot of startup events in Boston, and there are a couple of startups who have their own independent internet companies, um, mm-hmm. but they're only like in Boston proper, and I don't live in Boston proper, so right. I can't take advantage of that. It seems like this would be something that should be easily solvable, um, but apparently because of, I'm not sure why. Um, and, so, <laughs> and we're seeing things like Google Fiber and stuff like that that I think are, yeah. are like, you know, expanding as much as possible. So hopefully the internet problem doesn't persist too long. <laughs> but Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, even because, you know, even like the mobile companies, AT&T and Verizon have their own services, but they're not available everywhere, which doesn't make any sense to me. They only pick like two or three areas For sure. um, to do all that. So there's got to be... That's- it's a problem with like the United States specifically with streaming because we're so spread out. Like every single state has huge populations of it living in rural, really spread out areas. And it gets harder with things like, you know, if people are wanting to use for TV services alone, like a, a digital antenna or something, if they're living in the middle of the forest in the mountains, like that's going to be a totally different animal than if you're living in the middle of a metro area, you know? Right. So I think there have to be some solutions to that. I don't think there's a one perfect solution for the entire country right now, which is a shame, but I'm sure we'll see things coming out increasingly over the next couple of years, hopefully. So, yeah. yeah. So, so in, so in addition to working there, you said you also do write freelance. Mm-hmm. So how, how did you get started as a freelance writer and what do you focus on now? For sure. So I had I have a background in copy editing. So I, I did a lot of copy editing during college, and um, my senior year, my managing editor was like, "All the copy editors should try to write like one article." So I wrote one article for our like campus newspaper, and thought that that would be like the last piece that I ever wrote. Um, and then I realized a couple months later that like that was one of the more fulfilling experiences of my time working at that newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I really, I mean, it was like a totally dumb article about like, yeah, it's the 20 year anniversary of Batman, the animated series or something. Um, <laughs> it's very typical for me to write about Batman, the animated series, but uh, I really enjoyed doing it. And it was such a short little thing. And I found myself missing that one experience that I'd had. So there was a girl that I went to college with, that knew that I was looking for writing opportunities and she had a connection at TechHive, um, which it does a lot of consumer technology reporting. So she connected me with him and uh, TechHive is part of a larger network of publications. So um, PC World, Mac World, Good Gear Guide Australia, a bunch of other ones. So I write for them now um, every day as a freelance contributor. And um, that has led to finding other connections and, it's just been, I, I feel like once you start doing one freelance thing, you find other freelance things, you know? Okay, sure. Excellent. Yeah. Are there particular, I guess, are there, are there, are there particular um, magazines or newspapers or, or websites that you are aiming to write for? Or is it just kind of just what comes along? It's more, it's less, I feel like, publications than topics. I think people get really, um, especially people who are trying to freelance for the first time, I think try to only get on the the most, you know, top tier online publications. And I think that there's a lot of value in these more kind of specific 
uh, useful to a certain audience kind of publications. So, like I said, I do a lot of consumer tech writing. I like writing about TV, so I'm more interested in finding things that are topics I'm interested in. I wrote an article for VentureBeat like a month and a half ago that was about AI in film. Like, something, it's an overlap of two things I love, very specific. Yeah, VentureBeat is like a super cool publication, and I was pumped to get published on it, mm-hmm. but it was much less for me about being on VentureBeat and way more about writing about this topic that I I care about and talk about enthusiastically all the time, you know? Yeah, that's, that's great. So with those, with your freelance work, do you mm-hmm. are you paid per article or per clicks? It's per article, the ones that I do. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of places that do per clicks, and I've been looking into some of those, but I like the per article model right now while I have... Um, I, I mean, I have another job, like I said, that I'm doing. Yeah. I like not having a lot of uncertainty around how much I'll make from each article, for example. So right. knowing on the front end is really nice. Yeah, sure. Has your your fee per article increased? And if it has, what were some of the causes that helped it increase? It hasn't. I haven't been doing it all that long. Like I mentioned, I haven't been out of school a super long time. Right. Um, there goes my question then. Okay, so your fee hasn't increased throughout the so so let's so let's backtrack that one then. Sure. Um, how are the fee structures structured? So they just do do they just say this is how much it costs like this is how much we're gonna pay you mm-hmm. or do they ask you for background stuff like how many articles have you written or background information? Um, typically they tell me how much it is and I think most editors I feel like. Uh, do research on their own of what you've written and kind of know who you are before. So like specifically with the tech hive one, like I had written other articles that weren't freelance that I had done through my work with cut cable today at the time. Okay. And so he was able to see that I had done some writing, um, even though that was branded and a totally different creature than what I would be doing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they kind of get an idea of, this is the kind of the caliber of your writing. This is your background. And then the ones I've had have just sort of given me like, this is what we're willing to pay. I think that will probably change as I get more experience under my belt. But sure. for now I'm, I'm happy with that model for sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. Good. Good to know. What has been your favorite article that you have written so far? Oh gosh. I don't even know. I loved doing that venture beat one. Like I said, that was a total passion project for me. It, took me longer than any article I have written to this point because I was so like (laughs) involved emotionally with it because it's something I talk about all the time with my friends. It's like that 2 a.m. conversation of like all these examples of AI and film, like where's it going? What does it say about us? All this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, it took me forever because I was so, you know, like when you care about something and you want it to be just like totally perfect. Yeah. yeah, and you don't want to like look back on it in a couple months and be like, man, I could have said this, but I didn't. So, yeah, that's my favorite one, I think. Excellent. Okay, so AI and film. So mm-hmm. is that – were you are you approaching it from like a, a, the scientific model of what's actually possible in AI right now? Or is it more of what's – how AI is being represented in film and how that could potentially or it will be evolving? It, it was the second one. So – it okay. was a lot about how, obviously, from its first time that we ever saw something AI-related on film till now, that model has changed a lot. And, um, there were, I mean, there were things that I, I couldn't talk about a ton in the article because it was so short. But uh, an example, the thing that kind of got me thinking about this article in the first place is, I don't know if you know that TV show Humans. 
Um, oh, it has, I like, do. Long in it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a weird British show. I watched the first few yeah. episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not for everyone. It's very weird, but it's very good. And I loved so many of the topics that that show covered for me were super interesting in that, like, the synths, as they call them, the, like, synthetic humanoid kind of robot things were... I feel like a lot of times they're either, like, all bad or all good in movies and TV shows. And in that show, that's, like, there's, like, an actual psychopath who's a synth, but they're also really good, nuanced characters that do good things and bad things and trying to explore, like, what a new version of humanity will look like once we consider AI to be part of that group of humanity and will we ever consider it to be. And that show has just gotten me thinking so much over the past couple years that I've been watching it, just, like, all the time. What's that going to look like? And people talk about the singularity and, like, when, if, I think it's more of a when than an if, AI surpasses us. Like, what's that going to look like? And will we accept it? And I don't know. There are so many questions. So that show, like, obviously, this is something I think about all the time. Sure, sure. So so does that mean, like, you were a big fan of Ex Machina and... Other so, movies like that? I no. can't myself to watch that one because, I mean, I I know it's complex how they handle AI in that in that mm-hmm. movie, but I, from what I've seen and heard from people that like have sort of similar opinions as me, I feel like I'm gonna have a hard time watching it because it's so different from what I imagine. I don't know if that makes sense to you at all, but I. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, I guess I'm not quite sure. It, um, I mean, I didn't, I mean, it, it may be difficult for you now because you you might know the ending already, which would ruin it. I do know the ending. That's the problem. Okay. So yeah, that totally ruins it because going, going into it, I just, um, I had no idea. I was like, oh, it's a free movie. Let's just watch this one. And I like Oscar (laughs) Isaac. So why not? Um, and then, you know, they started talking about like the Turin test and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then the ending happened and I was like, wow, I didn't, didn't see that coming. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) but, uh, I had, there was another, I had another guest of mine. Um, his name is Sydney and I interviewed him about a year and a half ago. Um, but I was joke that, that, so he is, um, he is a, a professional choreographer, but now he works at Brown in the robotics lab and he that's interesting i I like to joke he teaches robots how to dance but not like in the cool (laughs) sexy way in that he he works with uh different roboticists with motion and uh, movements because the human movement is not a natural thing um, and in gestures so he helps roboticists link gestures um to what they actually mean and so i always try to get him to create a project where he can dance with a robot like that because that'd be really cool it's like something where you say like people like they're trying to make it seem more human or whatever like one of the things that i keep seeing with these made to look like human kind of robots Mm -hmm. is their faces always look super weird but specifically their mouths Mm -hmm. i have this like weird thing where i am hyper aware of what people's mouths are doing while they're talking i don't know why this has been like a thing my whole life and i have no clue why it's happened but with these robots, I'm, like, watching their mouths. And there are things like their hand gestures and stuff, too, that obviously are not human at all at this yeah. point. But uh, there's this whole other question of, like, should we make them look more human or should we make them look a little bit not human and make their mouths look a little weird, like bad CG or something, and, like, make their hands look a little weird just so we know? 
or does it matter? You know, and I like thinking about this all the time. I don't know. Oh, interesting. I haven't. So I've, I've read recently a few articles. So not on the movie part of it, but in, um, there was an example, I think it was like the Harvard business review of a, a company and how they were trying to make ro- robots a little more uh, palatable to their workers and mm-hmm. and so if you've ever watched a robot like industrial robots working in full speed it is kind of terrifying right um, <laughs> and there's no way like if you get in the way of them they will not stop for you and they will just go through you um right. so they they the collaborative robots this company was working with they actually put eyes on the the face of the robot and they weren't there for any anything other than aesthetics and part of the reason was so that the, the the humans working with the collaborative robot knew where the robot was looking and where it was was going to go next. So it was like it was, they very much use the the expression of the eyes of the windows to the soul right. type of thing for these robots because when they're you yeah humans were looking at them and watching them they knew the gestures and the movements were going to happen next based off of where the, the robot was looking. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, I'm when creepy's a little bit over, like, too strong of a word is creepy, but mm-hmm. it's a little creepy, honestly. <laughs> but I understand the function. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It is. And working, so I, it, uh, where I work also, there's a lot of robots. They're robot arms, not necessarily robot, like, they're in their entirety, and it's, right. um, I'm waiting for those times when they actually, we have some more faces on robots, because I think it'll make them more fun to hang out with. I think it's more fun, but I also think it's more, I'm, I mean, I say terrifying, but I like, I'm excited about it, mm-hmm. but I recognize that there's a fear factor for a lot of people there as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Now these things could still easily go through you, but, um, you know, at least they'll have a smile on their face when they do it. <laughs> that doesn't really make it better. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I think that makes it more creepy. Yeah. Just, you know, slightly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the in the things that you've done, which have been very interesting, there what I, there's something that kind of struck me, and that was the very beginning of our conversation, where you talked about in high school how you were more of an introverted person, but you right. forced yourself to kind of get out of that. Right. Were there so that process? Um, were there like books you were reading, or um, classes, or anything that you were learning about that, or or what did you do to make the the act of of putting yourself out there a little more palatable and less terrifying? Um, I think there were a couple of things. So I, there wasn't a lot of, like there wasn't a self-help book or something that helped me get there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, and this is going to sound creepy coming up again, but uh, I think TV helped me a lot because... I have a really hard time reading people and like reading their expressions and their emotions. And I think that was something that made me really shy because I was afraid that I was going to say the wrong thing and not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched a lot of TV growing up and then watched a lot more TV in high school. And I transitioned from watching these animated shows to things with real people mm-hmm. and became hyper aware of, you know, like I said, I, I know I watch people's mouths, but I, I don't watch their face as a whole. And so watching a lot of TV, I think, taught me to anticipate what people were going to say and do. 
Um, which, again, this sounds very creepy that I learned this from just watching TV shows, but I think it helped me a lot as far as gaining the confidence of knowing what people were going to do next and going to say next and how they were reacting. Watching a character react and be upset at something taught me that, like, oh, this is what someone being upset looks like. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, as a whole, TV watching experience really helped me feel more confident to talk to people and get out of my shell and all that stuff. Um, I also had a couple of really, really good friends that I've known since I was, like, a, a baby, pretty much. We grew up together, you know, a couple couple streets away from each other. Still my very best friends to this day. And one of them was super outgoing, and one of them was medium outgoing. And there was me on the total other end of the spectrum. But they really, really encouraged me to try to talk to other people and they would always introduce me to their friends and take me to their parties and all this stuff and like on one level they were forced to be friends with me because we were kids that grew up together and our parents knew each other mm-hmm. but so um there's something um i think that builds confidence in knowing that people choose to stick with you so when i was in high school that i still had the same people that chose to be in my life when our parents weren't still forcing us to be friends was something that gave me a lot more confidence And then the last thing, as I mentioned, most of my really good friends in school were from things like orchestra. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, I started kind of late for where a lot of people that were going to be at the front of the sections were. But I had a really, really good private teacher who was someone who was and remains a mentor and a friend to me. And she taught me a lot of things, of course, about playing violin and, and being able to play in front of people and all these things that I wouldn't have imagined doing when I was younger. But also, I think those skills of learning how to be confident while playing an instrument and being able to to play solo in front of someone and trying out for solos and trying to to become good enough that you can lead a section and things like that, um, and the encouragement that she gave me to do all those things bled into my normal life as well. So when I'm looking for, you know, I got to be friends with the cool kids so I can write this gossip like comic book, there were a lot of things that built up my confidence so I'd be able to go make those friends, you know? Sure, sure. Okay. Well, so that, I mean, so the the TV thing isn't creepy at all. That makes actually perfect sense Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we learn by mimic and what you were doing was watching these trained actors whose Mm -hmm. job it is to, you know, um, you know, express emotion physically and you were learning how they did it and then mimicking them. That makes, that makes perfect sense actually. That's uh, very there... validating. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, I did go to I did go to school for theater, so um, okay. <laughs> I see great great value in, in especially in that part. And I spent a lot of time with some very smart um, actors and watched them kind of hone characters out of nothing, which is absolutely to watch someone who's very talented at that do that is is quite fascinating. Uh, were there particular like characters on tv shows that really that you felt helped you the most um i don't even think it was just one specific character like as i've gotten into adult life i feel like there are characters that have helped me more in recent years that i can pick out here's this specific person or this specific show or whatever but when i was younger i think it was just a combination of um a lot of shows because like i said i was watching a ton of tv for a few years in my life partially fact that I like didn't have super robust social life for a little while um I think watching all of those helped a lot sure. you know the whole combination 
Sure. Okay. Well, it's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in what you've done so far and, and what you've accomplished so far, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Um, I had someone tell me once that the most important thing you can do is find mentors and make sure that you have people that are not your family that are invested in you and helping you develop and uh, not even necessarily involved in the career field you want to be in or whatever, but just someone who's willing to help you build skills, build relationships, you know, build confidence in your ability and all that. And I uh, took that to heart. My first mentor, like I mentioned, was my private violin teacher, but I had so many people in my life, especially I think in college, that really would take me under their wing and teach me a lot of things. And even if I was not at all interested in going to their fields, just helping me become a lot more well-rounded and feeling like I had the skills to adapt. And I think finding a mentor is like the main, I mean, I have younger siblings and that's the thing I tell them all the time is like, make sure you find people that can invest in you and Mm -hmm. be worth investing in, you know? Well, that's great. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Alex. I really appreciate it. (laughs) No problem. Thanks for having me on. Of course, it's my pleasure. If the listeners would like to uh, see more about your writing and and hear more about what you're working on, what's the best place they can go to do that? Um, I would say I have a muckrack, which keeps track of a lot of my. It's a you know an online journalist site. Mm-hmm. Um, keeps track of a lot of my writing that I'm doing right now, and then HowToWatch.com. Keep updated on that. We're continuing to add content all the time, so those are my two big things. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And I will, so I'll put links to those in the show notes, and then uh, we'll be good to go with that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.